Kia ora, g'day and welcome to the history of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Episode 58, The Biscuit Tin with David Wilson. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons, such as Morgan. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. This week, we have something a little bit special. If you're listening to this at time of release, within the last couple of days, the first Members Bill of the 53rd New Zealand Parliament was drawn by ballot. This process is one that Parliament does fairly regularly as part of its duties to debate and pass bills into law. You might think this is a fairly uninteresting process. However, something that makes it a bit more cool and oh so New Zealand is a piece of iconic history. The Biscuit Tin. Since the late 80s, it has been an integral part of our democracy, allowing non-governmental members of parliament to put forth their ideas to potentially become part of the law of Aotearoa. Since this important occasion was coming up, I decided to head down to parliament to have a chat to David Wilson, the clerk of the house, to learn more about what members' bills are, how they work, and about the biscuit tin that makes it all happen. So yeah, first off, thank you for agreeing to come on and, and talk to me. Um, it's always nice when people who actually know stuff actually want to talk to me. It really legitimises <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, so I guess to start with, um, tell us a bit about yourself and how you came into the role that you're currently in, or what is your current role? Sure, so I'm, I'm David Wilson. I'm the Clerk of the House of Representatives, which is um, Parliament's uh, principal permanent officer, so um, politicians come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, with elections, I don't. I'm appointed by the Governor-General um, to support the, uh, the House of Representatives and its select committees, mm-hmm. um, give advice to MPs, the Speaker and other people on parliamentary law and procedure. Um, and we also do things like run public engagement programmes, broadcast Parliament, keep a record of it, uh, produce Hansard, um, and I've been in the job for uh, six years now. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my background, I came, started working in Parliament in 1995 after um, finishing university, uh, where I did a Master's in History. Cool. Uh, and so I've worked here and been placed in the public sector ever since. Nice, awesome. So uh, the, I guess for people who don't kind of understand, or if they haven't from that description, when I was telling people, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing on mm. Wednesday, um, they're like, well, who is he? What is he doing? i like, he's like the general manager of parliament. Is that how you'd kind of well, describe there, it? There is, actually a, there is actually someone who was called the general manager of, of oh, the right. parliamentary service, which is a separate job. Mm-hmm. So um, I, uh, I, we're very much focused on supporting uh, MPs and uh, carrying out the constitutional functions. Mm-hmm. The parliamentary service, which used to have a general manager and now has a chief executive, uh, looks after uh, MPs in terms of their staffing, their offices, travel, security, research for them, those sorts of functions. Um, so I, I, I guess, I mean, it's a really old title. It's what the person in this job's always been called mm. since 1854 when the first one uh, took the job. 13 people have done it since then. Mm-hmm. So they tend to have quite a long tenure usually. Yeah, interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it really, I suppose it is about running that part of Parliament's work mm. rather than the sort of more day-to-day nuts and bolts parts. Cool, awesome. That was going to be my next question. What, what does actually that job entail? Mm. So okay. that's good. We'll skip that one. <laughs> Um, so kind of I guess what we have come here for, and because people have read the title at this point of what I'm actually here for, yep. and 
for listeners, it is in front of us right now. So uh, this, well, let's kind of, before we talk about the biscuit tin and I guess the members' bills that it's involved with mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff, can you kind of briefly run through, because I understand there's four types of bills that can be introduced to Parliament and could you run through what those are? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the most common kind of government bills um, minister, were introduced by ministers, uh, which are almost all of the bills that Parliament deals with, probably between 90 and 95% in any one year. Mm-hmm. So those uh, government bills are public bills that affect or can affect everyone in the country. Then there are members' bills, which are introduced by people who aren't ministers, but are also public bills that can apply to everyone in the country. Uh, then the other two kinds are local bills, um, which are, fe- are promoted by a local authority and affect just a local area, uh, and private bills, which um, affect only a certain class of people or maybe a particular organisation. Mm-hmm. So it used to be the way, for example, that people got divorced. You had to, in Britain, pass a private bill to get a divorce. Okay. Um, it might be the way that a company changes something about it. If it had a statute that set it up, for example, as some of our older companies did, um, it, it has been a way of resolving a really complex adoption case in New Zealand in relatively recent years as well. Oh, wow. So there's not very many of those. By far the most are government bills, probably followed by members' bills, and, and then local and private bills. Okay, very interesting. So can you run us through, I guess, the kind of general process of bill, kind of regardless of what type mm. I understand that might it might differ quite a bit depending on what kind of bill it is, but just kind of, I guess, the general process mm-hmm. from um, when a bill is basically thought of to when it actually gets introduced to a law or sure. as a law. The process is actually much the same for all of them. Um, uh, someone has an idea, uh, a policy, which uh, they want to turn into legislation. Um, so they think about that, they talk about it. Um, in the case of, of government bills, they get advice from their departments about it, so ministers mm-hmm. would. In the case of a member's bill, an individual MP will think about a, an issue that's important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then once they figured out what they want the legislation to do, and that they actually need a law about this thing, that it's not something that can be sorted out some other way, um, they instruct uh, specialist lawyers to draft the bill for them. So for government bills, it's the Parliamentary Council Office. Um, which is a a group of government lawyers Uh, and for members bills it's my staff in the office of the clerk who Mm -hmm. provide a drafting service for MPs which they don't have to use but almost all of them do so we turn their idea into something that's got the form of legislation. Um, A bill gets introduced to the House, Uh, they're introduced by giving them to me, the clerk of the House, um, on a working day or on a sitting day Uh, and um, at that time uh, I I read out the name of the bill to the House to tell the House it's been introduced. Um, Then it goes through a process of scrutiny and debate. Uh, So it has a first reading uh, in the House after it's been introduced. Um, Then almost all bills are sent off to a select committee for scrutiny. So usually for six months, uh, select committees in New Zealand are unusual in that they get almost all the bills that are passed and they call for public submissions on all of them. And on some, the committee might get tens of thousands of submissions, and here a sample of them. On others, it might just get a handful. But that's the normal process. So the select committee scrutinises the bill in detail, gets advice on it, might recommend changes to it, presents a report to Parliament, um, which then debates that report, uh, makes those changes uh, at its second reading. Then the bill goes on to another committee stage called the Committee of the Whole House, where all members can debate the bill and make changes to it. Um, it's really the last chance to amend a bill. Uh, once, and that doesn't have a time limit. That can be quite a long debate. The format for it usually is uh, MPs asking the person in charge of the bill, so a minister or a backbench MP, questions about it and answering them and debating what changes should be made. Um, once that's finished, it has a third reading. That means the, gut, the bill has been passed by the House. It can't take it back and make any changes to it. 
if it wants to change it, now it's going to have to introduce a new bill. Mm. After that, uh, my staff read the bill from start to finish to make sure that what's going to be signed into law is exactly the thing that Parliament passed with nothing else in it and nothing missing. Um, so that's that's pretty detailed piece of work. Then I sign off the bill to say, yes, the one that's has been passed by the House is this version. Um, it goes to the Attorney General, who signs it off to say there's no legal reason this bill can't be made into law, uh, to the Prime Minister, who then signs it to recommend the Governor-General, gives it royal assent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it goes to the Governor-General, who signs the bill into law. Cool. So that's usually a matter of a few days after the bill's been passed. And that process happens pretty much for all bills in, in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so roughly how long would that process kind of take from conception to Governor-General signs it? Yeah, roughly? well, I mean, the conception could be very long or short. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can bet on a generally six months with a select committee and the readings on either side will have to occur over a few separate weeks. Mm-hmm. So probably reasonably quick, quickly, without cutting into the select committee time, it might be, say, seven or eight months. Um, maybe a year would be a normal time frame. But um, you probably know that Parliament can also pass laws very quickly when mm. it needs to, and it can do the entire thing in a day if there's some urgent reason to do that. Yeah, as we have seen quite a lot recently <laughs> as of time of recording. Um, but of course, since we are um, here to talk about the biscuit tin, um, which is exclusively for members' bills, yes. So members' bills are unusual in that they, um, they're the ones that are going to be introduced are decided by ballot because yep. there are more of them than Parliament can cope with at any one time. Yeah. So since um, that's what we're here to talk about, we'll focus on that. Um, and I did write here um, that the members' bill was recently drawn, but I've just learned that that is not the case. I think um, for the first or oh, the first members' bill for the fifty-third Parliament of New Zealand. No, we haven't had any drawn yet, as of yet, because of everything else that's been going on. <laughs> so I guess um, the question is, why would why would someone want to propose a members' bill? Okay, well, I mean, I guess the unique thing that members of parliament can do that nobody else in the, in the country can is make laws. Mm. Um, most of them, uh, as I say, something that government does, but every individual member has the power to do that. If they can convince the majority of MPs to support them, they can pass a law, which is a, you know, a, a pretty amazing responsibility. Um, so individual members might want to do that because there's a cause they believe really strongly in, um, and... Uh, the only way to, to address that issue is, is to pass legislation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think members will know that their bill isn't likely to pass, but they want to draw attention to an issue anyway. Um, and so that's why you know opposition members might uh, put a bill in the ballot, even though they know, unless they can convince government members, you know, they're not they're not going to get their way. Um, but you know, they'll still do it. And most non-ministers would have a bill in the ballot at any time. And so, is there any restriction on what those those bills can be about? Well, um, there's not very many restrictions. They they have to be something that applies to the whole country, not to a particular location or a particular individual. So they can't be a local or a private bill. Mm-hmm. They have to be a, a, just a general public bill. There's no restriction on subject matter. Um, I think it's fair to say members' bills tend to be shorter and about a single issue mm-hmm. um, uh, than government bills, which um, you know are, are often quite a lot larger and might be introducing a whole new regime or substantially amending some piece of law. They tend to be about individual things such as marriage equality, for example, mm-hmm. um, which is probably one of the better known ones. Yeah, that was something I was going to actually ask a bit later on, but since well, you mentioned it, um, are there any members' bills that are particularly notable apart from that one? Well, I think the other one would be David Seymour's end-of-life choice 
Choice Bill in the yep. last Parliament, um, which was finally decided at a referendum at the election, mm-hmm. but that received something like 40,000 public submissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Select Committee had it for a long time. It was quite contentious. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and that started uh, with his, with his um, idea, which he turned into a law. Yep. Quite a brief bill. Okay, interesting. The other ones that I actually got from the um, the parliamentary website as well was the um, Homosexual Law Reform of 1986, yep. um, which decriminalised male homosexual intercourse and decriminalising prostitution in 2003, um, which are also members' bills according to your website. That's correct, yes. So are. I hope that's right. Yeah, it is. Because <laughs> it's on your website. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so I guess we're kind of already, or I guess this is where the biscuit tin comes in. Mm. Uh, how does a members' bill go from being the idea of a member of parliament to then being debated on the House floor, which is... And where that comes yes, in, I guess, isn't it? Yes, through that. So um, I've said before there are more members' bills that members would like to debate than there is time. Mm-hmm. Members' bills get dealt with every second Wednesday that they have their Parliament sitting, mm-hmm. um, and uh, today is one of those days when uh, that, that will happen. Um, and because most members have a bill that they would like to promote, which you'd expect from a group of politicians who all have their own ideas they want to advocate for, um, there was a system put in place in the early 1990s uh, to basically pick which bills would be introduced. Prior to that, um, bills, uh, all members' bills were available for debate, although in reality they'd never all be reached. And the order they were debated in was the order they were delivered to the clerk. And so this still happens in some overseas parliaments. But what that meant is you'd have MPs lining up outside uh, this office, mm-hmm. um, uh, waiting for a minute past midnight on the day they could present them. Uh, and that was described as unseemly in various media articles. Um, it's quite a big time commitment for people yep. um, and you know, arguably a waste of their time. Um, so the first thing that happened is that the number of bills was limited to eight, mm-hmm. uh, originally four and then eight, uh, and it was decided uh, where there were more bills than that, there would be uh, a ballot. There's always been more bills than that, so there's always going to be a ballot. Um, so when that came, uh, w- when those rules changed, there needed to be a way of conducting that ballot. Um, so uh, one of the staff here at the time uh, went to Decker, which used to be yep. a department store on Lampton Quay, and um, bought this biscuit tin, this blue and white uh, tin, um, still with the original uh, quite tatty label <laughs> taped to it, uh, and uh, two sets of um, bingo counters as well. Yep. Um, and so all the bills are then just numbered, uh, and we can go up to 90, but there are uh, generally aren't 90 members who are not ministers who are, who are able to put bills in the ballot anyway. Um, and uh, we drop them in um, and draw out as many numbers as there are spaces for bills to debate. Cool. So kind of on that about where the biscuit tin kind of came from, mm. um, because Decker is now no longer around, it no. was bought by farmers in 1992, the, your, well, the Parliament website actually says that it was bought for the express purpose of this job. It, so, I don't know if you know this, I don't know if anyone knows this, but was it just somebody decided, hey, just pop out, grab a biscuit tin, and we'll use that kind of thing? Basically, yeah. Yeah, because so, my, my thought was, um, it was like, oh, you know, probably someone had one around, they just, they're like, oh, yeah, why don't we use this? So not yeah. that someone actually, like, oh, rushed down the street and, like, go and grab one. Well, yeah, no, it, it, I mean, even then, I don't think people tended to keep their biscuits in tins, so it wasn't, it wasn't just grab a tin that's lying around the office yeah. and let's use it, it was go and get something, and something reasonably deep where you can't see mm. the numbers in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll use that. So, yeah. uh, it's endured ever since. Uh, because it works, it's quite simple, it doesn't cost anything. Exactly. Well, not much anyway. Yeah, well, and it's iconic now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I guess, I guess um, 
one question I did have, which I guess uh, we definitely won't know the answer, was um, does anyone know whether the biscuits were any good? I don't know that. It was a few years before my time, <laughs> yeah. so I'm not sure. They're in a fancy tin. They're so, in a fancy, yeah, yeah. I bet they weren't nice. But yeah, was there, was, I guess, um, do we know what brand it was or anything like that? Or No, and I, I don't think there's anything uh, on it. Still on it, it doesn't look no, like there is, no. What does it say on the bottom there? Made in Hong Kong. Okay. Well, well there we go. So that's something about its provenance. <laughs> um, but it's empty and we just don't know. It's just, it's just a nice looking tin, really. Yeah. <laughs> there are people around who would know, but unfortunately yeah. I'm not one of them. That's just interesting. It's just... I, mean, I, I, found, I when I kind of was looking into it, I just found there was a bit of an air of kind of mystery around it. It was just like, yeah, someone popped down and grabbed it, and it's just been kind of here ever since, yeah. really. It's so. just one of those sorts of stories that mm. uh, isn't overly dramatic. It's just quite pragmatic, yeah. um, but works really well. Um, and and the, the reason we need to do this is there are only allowed to be eight members' bills available mm-hmm. on the order paper, which is Parliament's agenda, for debate at any one time. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, sorry for debate at their first reading at any one time so whenever there are fewer than that we hold a ballot um, mm-hmm. so we really just will watch progress t- and, and see when there are fewer than that and uh, then we'll get the biscuit turn out cool so I guess um, in, in kind of that similar vein has there ever been any talk of retiring it and maybe getting a new biscuit tin or replacing it with a slightly different system or something like that or um, well I mean it looks to be in pretty good shape to me mm. and uh, it's still going strong it's got a few dents and it's, it's labels seen better days but that's the original just add a bit more tape to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there hasn't been any talk from us about retiring it. Um, I mean, there has been comment that it's pretty quaint. Yeah. And, you know, surely you'd use an electronic system in this day and age. I just don't see why. This, yeah. um, I mean, it probably cost a couple of dollars uh, at the time. It's probably yeah. well and truly depreciated now. Um, why would we build a computer system to do that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's also completely trustworthy. People uh, can come and watch the drawer. They can see all the numbers go in. They can see them be drawn out. They're always drawn out by a neutral party. Uh, and uh, you know, it gives just gives absolute certainty about the bill. Yeah, so it's just if it ain't broke, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to kind of go back to um, members, uh, the, the members' bills themselves. Mm. From what I understand, you actually have to, or a member of parliament has to actually sponsor the bill. So what happens if that um, that member is uh, not elected, or is mm. for what any other reason is un, is no longer in parliament? Yeah. So I mean, there's a few, I guess there's a few reasons. One would be that a member uh, retires mm-hmm. or loses their seat at an election. The other one might be if they become a minister, then they can no longer be in charge of a member's bill. Um, so uh, the, the member can transfer it to another MP so long as that MP agrees. Um, and uh, we saw that uh, at the um, at the last election. Uh, David Carter, who had been a former speaker, mm-hmm. but then uh, became a, a backbench MP, had uh, a bill um, to overturn the um, Electoral Integrity Act. Uh, he knew he was retiring, so he passed that bill to Nick Smith, who's mm-hmm. you know, returned as a member. Had Nick Smith not returned, he could have just nominated a new MP to give the bill to him, provided they agreed that would happen. And the same if someone's a minister, they can just pass the bill on to someone else. Mm-hmm. They, and they just need to tell me and we'll change it over, change ownership. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I guess, uh, how often do members' bills pass? And if they, if not, why not? Or why do they pass all the time? Or um, I mean, it's, it's. I could find some figures. I don't know off the top it's of my fine. head, but um, <laughs> rough. <laughs> yeah, uh, they don't all pass. Yeah. Um, and the, the the debate on them is really an opportunity to see, you know, members in the house working. Uh, quite collaboratively, mm-hmm. um, even if they don't agree with something, because these are not issues that tend to be 
party political issues. There's often a pretty good debate and exchange about them. Sometimes members are persuaded to change their mind from one side to the other. And you see that particularly with um, the marriage equality legislation. Mm -hmm. Members actually said, well, I opposed this to start with, and I changed my mind and I voted for it. Um, so, yeah, so they don't all pass, but, um, you, you know, you've listed some pretty significant ones that did and have made some pretty important social changes in New mm. Zealand. Um, you can just never be sure of it. Whereas uh, a, a government bill, and particularly in the case now where the government has an absolute majority in the House, it can be pretty certain that, that a bill it introduces will pass. Perhaps it might change it on the way, the Parliament might change it, but it should pass. Members really don't have that certainty. Um, so there's always a lot of negotiation work behind the scenes and, 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 and convincing debate to try and get people on board. Cool. Um, so I guess kind of part of um, this whole kind of system with the biscuit tin and stuff is the standing orders of Parliament and yeah. what those are. So could you tell us what those actually are? Not, well, don't list them out, but no. like what yeah, actually... 410 of them, so <laughs> yeah. we won't do that. The standing orders of Parliament's rules. I mean, pretty much any uh, group or society or organisation... Um, that meets and discusses things and makes decisions, we'll have some rules about how it does that. Mm -hmm. um, Parliament has developed them over its whole history. Um, it updates them regularly, but those are the rules that um, govern, amongst other things, how bills are passed and the fact that there has to be a ballot. They don't mention the biscuit tin, they, they leave that to me. Okay. But um, they're, they're not particularly prescriptive um, on everything that happens in Parliament, and that's why we have a speaker to interpret them. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, th those are the rules. Yeah, and one of them I believe recently was the was the tie change that was that was also a standing order. Was no, it? that's that isn't. Um, it's um, there's a requirement uh, for members to wear business attire in the house, and it's up to the speaker to decide what that is. But mm -hmm. it's, no, it's, there's no standing order about ties. Okay. Um, there is one um, though. Well, there are several about members' bills, and there was one quite important change when these were last reviewed in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so. Up until now, uh, getting your bill out of the ballot has been purely just luck of the draw. Mm -hmm. um, there's been talk for a few years about whether, if, if there was a bill that had a large amount of support from MPs, there should be a way of bypassing the ballot. Because on most days you've got about a 1 in 70, 1 in 75 chance of your bill coming out. Mm. I mean, not bad odds if it's lotto or something, but not great for a draw that doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Um, so the change was made in, in, at the end of 2020, just before the election, um, so that if an MP can get uh, 60 other MPs who are not ministers to support their bill, it will be automatically introduced. Mm -hmm. um, this is members' bills only, and they will, it will therefore bypass the biscuit tin. Mm -hmm. uh, that hasn't happened yet. Um, we're fairly uh, you know, recently into this parliament, but I expect we'll see some like that. And, and then obviously there'll be a lot of work behind the scenes to try and build that support. Mm -hmm. So just for reference for people who are not in New Zealand and don't mm. know how many seats in Parliament there are, so it's 61, so it's over 50% exactly. to skip that process. Yeah, yeah. so the member themselves, presumably supporting their own bill, plus 60 others, giving you a majority out of the 120 seats. Yep. That's right. Cool. Um, so how are the standing orders uh, kind of changed and what is the process, or I guess what is that process and who kind of controls that? Mm. Oh, that's a good question. So there's a committee called the Standing Orders Committee um, which in New Zealand meets every three years, so every parliament, because we have a three-year electoral term, it usually meets in the last year before an election. It's got members of every party on it. It's, it's generally chaired by the Speaker, um, it's a, but it has senior members from all parties, uh, and they uh, discuss changes to the standing orders. They ask the public um, and, and others to make submissions and make suggestions. So I always make quite a substantial submission, and the clerk has probably since the 1950s made a 
a pretty substantial one. Part of my job is to advise MPs on what the standing orders mean and how they apply, so we're in a pretty good position to do that. Mm. Um, so I might suggest changes. MPs themselves will suggest changes. Their parties might. Select committees might. Um, and, and members of the public. We get uh, academics do, uh, the Law Society makes comments from time to time, um, youth groups do sometimes as well, and just individuals. So anyone can feed into the process. Mm -hmm. um, they'll consider uh, rule changes, um, and the way that they do them is on a consensus basis. So the Standing Orders Committee never votes on things. They only come up with a package of reforms that all parties agree to. I guess one downside of that is it can be quite hard to make radical change because you've got to bring everyone along with you. On the other, on the other hand, the changes they do make endure because all the parties have agreed to them. They're not likely to change with a change of government. Mm -hmm. The timing of the review is also really important. They do it in the last year. They report reasonably close to the date that the parliament dissolves the election. When the MPs agree to these changes, they don't know who the next government's going to be. So there can't be much self-interest in it. Mm. Um, really, they are. it's a good way of focusing their interest and attention on what's good for Parliament. Um, so in the, in the 2020, um, before the 2020 election in that review, there was a, a significant amount of change, probably more than usual. And a lot of the things that were changed were um, procedures that have been tried out during the COVID-19 lockdown when mm. Parliament had to work in quite a different way. Which, which gave us sort of a, a pressure cocker trial, I suppose. Yeah, so I guess um, that's mostly all the questions I had actually on the biscuit <laughs> tin. You've been very efficient, which is really good. good. You've skipped a lot of the ones that I actually already had. So I guess but while you do mention kind of COVID, I guess um, since I've got you here mm. and got this opportunity, what was the change in Parliament when the kind of COVID happened? We went into lockdown and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How different was it and all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, we, we really only had a couple of weeks to think about what to do, um, as did everyone else in the mm. country. Um, the main changes were realising that Parliament wasn't going to be able to meet in its normal format physically, travelling from around the country, coming together in one room um, and spending a long time there um, is really you know, the exact opposite of what you should do when there's a pandemic. Mm. Um, so members agreed they were all going to uh, stay in their electorates, work from their homes like everybody else uh, who was able to work. Um, and so the House couldn't sit. It, it can't meet remotely. It's, it's never been able to. And there wasn't really much interest in doing that. So what, they, what, what, what the members did decide to do is set up this Epidemic Response Committee, um, which would do the scrutiny of the government response that would normally happen in the debating chamber. Um, and you know, one of Parliament's key roles is to scrutinise what the government does. Mm -hmm. It's the government's job to govern and also to do things and deliver things. So it was always going to lead the epidemic response. But it's Parliament's job to look at whether it's effective, uh, whether the spend of money is effective, and um, really question ministers and public officials about that. So, so that was um, one big change. Select committees kept meeting. Um, and they did that on Zoom, mm -hmm. um, and um, they continue to do that now. That was pretty successful. They still often meet face-to-face, -face, but at times when they might be in other parts of the country or um, Parliament's not sitting, they may actually just have a meeting by Zoom instead. Um, so some of those changes were tried out. Another one was um, when parties vote in the House, most of their members of Parliament, 75% of them, have to be in the debating chamber or in the complex in order for the party to exercise its full share of votes. Um, that limit was removed so that when Parliament did come back, a small number of MPs were able to be able to vote proportionally on behalf of their whole party. Um, and I guess in an MMP Parliament, uh, elected under proportional representation, maintaining those proportions is really important. So it was really about what can be done when 
Parliament can't meet physically, mm -hmm. and what can be done at lower alert levels where not everyone can come back, but some people can, which is really the two scenarios we've operated under. Yeah, That's been really useful because as we've been back into lockdown or some physical mm. uh, limitations in Wellington, um, we, we've basically had a blu blueprint for how to work. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds like you've had, um, I know for me personally working in, in my day job, mm. um, it's... Uh, it's this weird kind of cultural shift now where um, it's more accepted to be able to work from home and just, you know, Zoom your, your workmates if there's a meeting or whatever. It kind of sounds like you guys have also kind of transitioned into that yeah. kind of as well. I mean, we have as an organisation, but I think Parliament as an institution has mm. as well. And there's still a presumption that some things will be done in person, but yeah. um, there's much more flexibility. I think some of those things like remote select committee meetings on Zoom would have happened over time. Mm. It's just that the, uh, the COVID and the lockdown recondensed really re that time and forced it to happen now and people found it was actually okay cool nice so I guess the, the last question I have for you is what I usually ask most of my guests is um, what is your favourite part of um, your job um, or what is the most memorable thing that has happened to you while you've been working in parliament in general mm. so I guess what's the most memorable the most exciting the most interesting yeah. what's the thing that stands out to you I, well, I mean the thing I like most about my job is the time I spend in the debating chamber um, I sit just in front of the speaker available to uh, advise that person or any other member of parliament on uh, what's going on, how they can uh, make some change, amend a bill, whatever they want to do. Um, that's always exciting because it's unpredictable. Mm. Um, we know what should happen on every day, we don't know exactly what will happen and so um, for me I, I enjoy that and I think uh, the others of my staff that work in there do enjoy, enjoy that side of things. Um, in terms of um, most memorable, I suppose there are, are two things. Um, one of them, I guess, was was being appointed as Clerk of the House. It's mm. uh, not a lifetime ambition. I, I didn't know about this job when I was younger, but um, it, it has been a career high for me. I love it, and I'd you know, like to be able to do it for as long as possible. Um, the other one was very early in my parliamentary career um, when I was working with the Justice Committee, and they decided to summons the Road Night Gang in Christchurch mm -hmm. um, to give evidence uh, on an inquiry they are doing into gangs. Okay. Um, the gang had said they would come and they talked to the Mongrel Mob and Black Power and various others. Then the Road Knights decided they, they wouldn't turn up and the committee decided to force them by uh, issuing a summons, something mm -hmm. that hadn't happened for more than 100 years or so. Um, so I was the staff member who got to um, basically write out the summons, decide what it would look like. Um, we weren't in the office, so we couldn't really look at any precedents. We mm. just had to do it. And then arrange with the police who were there. Um, the police don't normally come to committee meetings, but because of the subject matter and the presence of gangs, there were detectives there, uh, arrange with them to have it served on this gang. So that was uh, pretty exciting. I, yeah. I never forget it. It's my war story <laughs> I often share with the people that I work with. Um, they didn't ever turn up. Mm. Uh, uh, and, you know, the, 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 I guess the, the threat of... Parliament being a bit annoyed with them is probably not something that kept them awake at night. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, they never did. And actually, the power to issue summonses were taken away from select committees a few years later. Uh, so now the Speaker can do it if, if uh, he or she thinks it's a good idea, but um, committees can't just do it on the spot like they did in Christchurch that day. Oh, wow. That's, that's <laughs> a great story. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd been the one who'd gone and bought the biscuit tin, then I could tell you that one, but no. alas, no. <laughs> well, no. That, thank you very much for um, for allowing me to come here into your oh, very large and very grand building um, <laughs> to, to talk to you about a, um, a very, I guess, um, bog-standard biscuit tin in yep. a lot of ways. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, no. Thank you very much for um, for allowing me to come. It's um, yeah, awesome to be able to talk to someone in the know and back. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a pleasure. Yeah, happy to talk to you, and um, always good to uh, give a bit of press to the to the biscuit tin as well. <laughs>
Once again, I would like to thank David for sitting down with me to chat about the biscuit tin. And a big thank you to Emma for facilitating it and making sure I didn't make a fool of myself in front of parliamentary security. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and have any other potential topics surrounding New Zealand's parliament and how it operates, please let me know, as it would be great to get David on again to chat about the inner workings, or indeed anyone else within those very large and very grand hallways. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can find my email and social media on historyaltero.com. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. This podcast is a one-man band. If you enjoy listening to me talk history, you can support us through Patreon, buy merch, or give us a review. It means a lot and helps spread the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, hairi tu atu, tu mai. See you next time. <laughs>